Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 335. Don't be careful. Don't, there's no need to follow the crowd. Just try and be your own self. That's the most important. Don't do just because the trend says so. If you don't believe in that trend, you don't believe in that style, there is no need to carry on that style or the trend. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day task that only you know how to do. If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone, nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurants owner.com and if you go to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable you will get a 10 day pass for only one dollar get on it with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef jahanger meta chef are you feeling unstoppable today my man i love it Thank you so much. It's a great day over here. Awesome. So hailing from India, Chef Jahangir Mehta is a graduate from the Culinary Institute of America. After graduating in the mid-90s, Chef Mehta got busy working and opening some of the finest restaurants in New York City. Today, Chef Mehta is an author, restaurateur at Graffiti, Graffiti Earth, and me and you, and you're just doing so much more, but we're just scraping the surface, giving the listeners a taste of who you are. Uh, we're going to find out more, but first, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? I would say happiness is way more important in life than just monetary success. And really dive into that. What are you doing with your life? Are you, are you chasing that happiness or what are you chasing? I think we always have to balance it. I think in reality, quite often in the world that we live with a little bit of money, but I think we should keep focusing on the happiness aspect and bring back that aspect to your work as much as to what your final goal is and get to that as much as possible. Then at some point you have to lose something because that is not giving you that point of happiness you should just let go of it, even though that might mean that could get you to a success level, but it's not giving you to get to make you happy. You should sometimes give up on it. So, Chef, you're somebody who has achieved happiness. Clearly, uh, I've met you in person. You're just you, you just burst with positivity and you have had an incredibly successful career. So what's the secret to having both? 
Uh, I, it is it is hard, definitely. I mean, it, it's easier to say than done. And I think the most important thing is uh, trying to really keep your focus on what you want to do. But at the same time, there will be aspects which will always come up. And try to just stay uh, uh, stay towards that goal and get those other points of view of people, of uh things that are happening, just shred that and move ahead. I would say that would be the main thing. So staying focused was the first thing. And what's the secret to that? Uh, I would say uh, don't, don't be careful. Don't, there's no need to follow the crowd. Just try and be your own self. That's the most important. Don't do just because the trend says so. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe in that trend, you don't believe in that style, there is no need to carry on that side or the trend. Um, just do what you need to do. It is like, I mean, even right now, there are a lot of, uh, I mean, in the food movement, it's all about plant-focused and stuff like that. But if there are chefs who who have been butchers all their life or who, people who like eating a lot of meat, if that's what is calling for you, stick to that. I mean, it may not be the right thing, not, it may not be the most healthy way of living, but if you just feel that that is what speaks to you in food, then deal with it. I mean, there will be there will be a climate of people who will who want that type of food and who want that style of food. I mean, like steakhouses are never going to go away. <laughs> they are they are definitely going to stay forever. So so there is a there is a little aspect of that which is there and and stick to that type of food. There's no need to say oh suddenly everyone's doing veg focused food. Let me also do that. There is no need to do that. Mm-hmm. So I would say that would. That is what I mean to say. If you don't believe in that, if you don't feel that, just don't do it. Do you is what I'm hearing. Do what makes you happy because at the end of the day, to be successful, uh, to really thrive, you've got to show up and bring it every day. And if you're not really happy with what you're doing, you just won't last. So great way to get started. I I love where we're headed in this direction. Uh, And now let's just kind of learn more about you. I gave the listeners uh, an aerial view of who you are and what you're about. But uh, briefly, just tell us about uh, your operations right now, and then we'll find out how you got there. Uh, So basically, we have graffiti, which is a restaurant which we've had since the last 10 years. Uh, in the East Village. Um, it's an eclectic restaurant. Prior to that, I was a pastry chef and uh, worked solely in pastry. Started doing a little bit with uh, a website where I did chocolate teas and uh, cooking classes for kids and then adults and then started doing parties. So it all led to making up of graffiti at the end of it where we felt like I felt, I think it was time to just put the pastry to a full stop in a way um, and get to it. So before that, I did a cookbook, a a dessert cookbook. And then I started off with graffiti. After that, we followed it with uh, uh, Me and You, which is a private dining restaurant where we do, which is what really is what I always wanted to do and only have in some ways is it private dining we do dinners whatever you wish to eat it's all memory driven food so it's however you write to us is how we cook for you Ooh. and we it's uh, it is just one table 12 seats maximum you could be as little as two people if you wish to but we only do one seating at a time so if it's two people it's two people only and that's it we um, try to create a story and have many different sensory moments into your meal because an experience is built not just with food, 
and so there are many more aspects through light, music, feel, touch, uh, aroma, uh, all the smell, senses. all of that, all the senses delivered, and especially your memory, bringing that special thought back to you can make a very big difference to food. And that is what we do out there. Awesome. So, uh, yeah. Did I did I hear, catch you say graffiti earth, or were you about to get to that? Did I, did I miss it? Yes, I was just going to okay, get to graffiti earth. And the last restaurant being graffiti earth, which is all about sustainability. We have uh, uh, built that restaurant's philosophy on sustainability right from the uh, plates, uh, silverware, cutlery, crockery, grasses, all of that is, I would say, 95% of that is hand-me-downs and um, as well as given from friends and family. Uh, so we have not purchased any of that. Our napkins, the cloth napkins that we use are really small, just about like six inches by six inches or so, of made from scraps of cloth, which are going to be thrown away. We've got them stitched and made into napkins. So again, we are showcasing that you need a smaller napkin. Uh, first, it's made from a scrap of cloth, so that would have been wasted. Second thing is uh, to wash a small piece of uh, napkin, it takes less water. Mm-hmm. So there, again, we can showcase the aspect of sustainability. Beautiful. Um, the, uh, in terms of our food-wise, we literally try and so only the uh, cosmetically challenged vegetables, uh, which are vegetables which don't look very appetizing in terms of purchase value. For some people, a carrot with five legs may not be something very much that would gravitate for them to put into their shopping cart. And so those are things like that, carrots, uh, I mean, tomatoes, so any any vegetable which have blemishes, uh, they are not sorted after. So we buy those vegetables. Um, as well as fish, we only buy the fish which are sustainable. Small fish, even better. Um, we also really source uh, only broken scallops. Broken scallops don't have much of a home. They were being thrown back into the ocean because fishermen saw that people were not interested in buying a broken scallop because every person or every photograph that you've seen is of this beautiful-looking scallop as a whole. So people don't understand how anything other than that could be eaten. So it didn't have much of a market. So we really only source those. So that's one more thing. Um, Jeff, uh, I, I love of- this, Chef. Uh, I, I love how uh, your dedication uh, to just making an impact, whether it be with your guest, uh, with a private dining and really making it personal and intimate or just the impact that you, you want to make on uh, the environment with sustainability and really being conscious about the the imprint you're leaving on the earth, man. It's it's so impactful. I think we're going to learn so much from you. Um, did I cut you off? I, I thought you might have been done. Did I hear you talking again? Is there anything else you want to add? No, I mean, we can always, we can always get back to some other points that <laughs> we have missed uh, about sustainability at some point, I'm sure. Awesome. No Awesome. Well, uh, we kind of painted the picture of what you got going now, which is a lot of great stuff. And I, I want to find out how you got there. So let's go back in time, uh, did some research. And it sounds like at a, at a point you were really, um, you, you started your adulthood focusing on sociology, correct? Yeah. So how did you, yeah. <laughs> you go from sociology uh, to hospitality? Take us through the journey. 
I think uh, it really has helped me in this industry. I think there are crazies in this industry, so as well as you're looking at uh, at serving people. So I think in both ways, I think a sociology degree is uh, a very important degree to have when you're dealing with human beings. Absolutely. So I think that has definitely given me a better edge of understanding humans. And um, in this industry, it is very much that. So yeah, I think it it showcases itself pretty well for me. Uh, from that, uh, the move was when I came to the, go to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. Uh, that's where I studied uh, culinary, and uh, it all started from there. Well, let's tap the brakes real quick because I want to go back to this topic of sociology. You said that it definitely gives you an upper hand. So give me an example of something that you've learned uh, focusing on sociology that you apply or you apply to get to where you are today. I think body language is one thing which is very important sometimes. Just how people look at you, how people vision things, how people say things. can. Uh, there, there is a statement which I'll tell you quite often. And I tell my staff this all the time, is uh, when a customer is asking you a question and the answer what you're giving could be a completely correct answer, but just imagine it from their side of view. Mm. What do they feel when you're giving them that answer? And how how would they envision that answer? If that same answer was given to you, would you have thought of it if you were not in this industry? And would you have figured what you mean to say? And that is very important. And for example, there are many restaurants you would go to. And when you go in, uh, you don't have a reservation. The hostess will say, so sorry, but we can't seat you. We are completely full. And you're looking in and you can see almost a 50% empty dining room. And you're like, and you you just leave. I mean, with the thought that I can't believe it. Like, like who do they think they are? This, the dining room is half empty and they just told me this just because I don't have a reservation. Like they don't have to be so rude about it, you know, like like that's the only way they'll do it or whatever. You know, like they have that attitude that that is what you hear and you see. But if they go with one more statement where they will say, well, it looks empty, but we have back-to-back reservations starting in the next 15 minutes, and that's why we cannot seat you. Mm. You know, if they just said that one extra line, mm-hmm. then when you leave as a customer, you would say, okay, now I get it why they didn't give me a table. Awesome. So it's that one extra statement can make a huge difference to the customer who felt like you were not being very nice to them when you told them they don't have a seat for you. So it's it's small things like that. It's 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 uh, it's small things like if you did hear something fall that and and you normally as a waiter you know what things sound like. You know if it's a fork or a spoon how it sounds like when it goes on the floor when it falls. That just means that they need another fork or a spoon or whatever other cutlery. Mm-hmm. So besides anything else, like right away, like say I'll get you something. Like versus letting. Firstly, just passing by that noise and walking away and then letting the customer put up their hand and say, may I have a fork? No, you should just get to it because you do know that that means they are missing something. Mm. So those small things like that, you should understand body language, you should understand your environment and what people could be thinking, would be thinking, should be thinking. Yeah, And it's all of that. 
Yeah, uh, just a, a book that I, I feel like I need to share with everybody because we're talking about the importance of uh, just sociology or, or yeah, well, that was the topic or yeah, sociology um, is uh, Social Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. He touches on a lot of this stuff, uh, just like the silence communication or the silent communication that happens between everybody, whether uh, just body language and, and really, like you said, just paying attention to the body language. So much is going on there. It's a great book. And um, I, I want to go back to... Uh, before you, you start at the CIA, because one of the questions I like to ask my guests, Chef, is when did you know? And it's from what I could tell, it was during that time uh, you were studying hospitality. So when did you know um, that you were going to commit your life to this and why? Can you bring us to the moment? I don't think I had an aha moment at all. I would be very, uh, I'll be very sure about that. I always knew one thing that I wanted to do a business. I did not know, and a business that will make people happy through means of my hands or maybe verbal business. It could be anything but a business that could make a human being happy in some way of communication. And uh, this just became a part of that. And I, I, even today, I would be extremely happy being a designer or being something else. I, it wouldn't matter to me. So long as that happiness is communicated to another human being through design, in whichever format it could be, uh, it could be food, it could be clothing, it could be hats, it could be anything, or it could be household. Uh, it, it doesn't bother me. It for me, it's just that aspect which is really the most, uh, which always spoke to me. Awesome. Um, so went to CIA, graduated in the mid '90s, and uh, you really got your foot in some great restaurants that really uh, catapulted your career. So. What did you do through your culinary, uh, you know, education to really make those connections to be uh, in the right place to really put yourself uh, in a position for growth professionally? I think when you're searching for a job again, uh, you must look into like once that fell. Once I finished doing the CIA uh, course, I think I was looking for a couple of things. Firstly, looking to work with chefs who were very hard on you because it's better that you learn from uh, when you are young about these things because it gets harder and harder once you get older to work for someone who is very difficult or very stern or very or a very high pressured job it would be much better to learn it learn it when you really don't know much so you really learn that aspect of that that style from a very young age and I think that is what I was le- I was searching for. So you purposely is, you purposely put yourself in positions where you're working with hard asses. Is that what I heard? Yes, that's awesome. I think it is a very good <laughs> thing. It's a very good thing to do that. I feel. Did you? And I advise that to everybody. When people ask me, "What is your first advice for people who graduate?" I always say, "Work in the most difficult restaurant that you can find, and the and the chef who will be the strictest for you to work under. Is that, it's the best place to work. Is that advice that somebody gave you, or is that was that instinctual? I think it was. I I don't know if it was instinctual, or it was just that that's how. I mean, I went to school in. I, I mean, I, I, I until I was twenty, I was in India, and I, and in uh, and in India, schools were very, very difficult in terms of education, in terms of being strict and rules and regulations, and uh, and all of that was extremely harsh. 
I mean, to the effect that they used to cane us in school if we did wow. something wrong. I mean, there was always punishment involved. And, and uh, so it was, I think maybe it was just that which made me feel uh, that following rules and following uh, are very important in life. And, uh, and, and working under very structured environments just make you better. So I just felt like, and I'm not, I'm not saying caning and stuff like that are a good thing at all by any nature. I don't promote such behavior at all, but or such ways of uh, uh, like discipline. But uh, but I just feel like still working under a very structured environment. I think makes you a a better uh, a, a worker with much better ethics. Yeah, and you just said the word that was like in my head, which is discipline. It sounds like you, at a very young age, recognized the value of discipline and you wanted to create those habits of discipline very early on. Is that what you were trying to do? Yeah, I would say so. I don't think most people would recognize that in their early 20s, late teens. Uh, So good for you on developing those habits early on. And uh, I mean, at one point I was doing some reading, you were working for a year. You said you wanted to commit to uh, really long days. I think I remember this is from memory, like 8 a.m. to midnight. So you did that for a year. Did you complete that goal for one year? Yes. So it was basically (laughs) I had left my internship after even after I worked at the internship, I got a job there and uh, at this restaurant, and I wanted to. Uh, but I left after nine months because the chef was really, really it, 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 it was a little too much, and I just felt that this was not the right place. So I, I wanted to leave, and I did leave after nine months. That was my first place. We said a little and too much, a little too much discipline. What, what, too much what? No, I think. Uh, I think discipline is nice, but I think it was beyond that. Uh, I was the longest person who had ever stayed there, okay. except for the sous eight chef. months, uh, and uh, I, I'm not even sous chef, the uh, chef de cuisine. Uh, nine months yeah, oh, I was wow. there, and I was the longest. I, I was the longest surviving uh, uh, cook over there. Oh man! So uh, no one lasted there. So <laughs> it was also that it was. Uh, but it was more than that. There were a couple of, there were two main insisters, I would say. So one was that at the end of, uh, when it was end of the year for a Christmas bonus, I got an envelope. And uh, at that time, we were all making, I mean, most of the cooks were making like $400 a week, you know, for very long hours and days. But that is what it was, you know, that's how every industry was. It was not about just he did that or anybody, any, any other French chef would also pay you the same amount yeah. or, or any other chef would have paid you the same amount or whatever. So that's not the point. And the point was I had, I get this envelope and I open it after at home. And unfortunately, when I came, it was very odd when I got it also, there were some coins in there. And I was like, oh, that must be some French thing where they put coins in the envelopes and give you or, you know, I, I just didn't know. I, I was so new. So I just said that maybe that could be the thing. And uh, and I come home and I can't remember exactly how much money it was, but it was less than $10. I know yeah. that it was like $9 and some cents or $8 and some cents. I don't know, but it was less than $10. That I do remember. And uh, And I was like, this is my Christmas bonus. Like, I mean, if this man wanted to not give anything, he should have just told people, just have a drink at the bar. You know, yeah. I, mean, I can't afford anything. I mean, you don't even have to say you can't afford it. You just said, that's it. I mean, yeah. you don't have to 
say, this is your bonus and give it. I mean, I was really insulted. I don't think they, I've, in my whole life, my parents have given my servants this little money for Christmas or for <laughs> anything like that. So I was like, this is so weird. And I thought it was very insulting. So whatever. So, I deal with that. But that was not the point. The point was when I had got burnt one day. And they had, uh, like, uh, I had a second-degree burn, which I came to know later on, but uh, later on meaning in the night because they didn't have any first aid kit. And hot water had fallen all over my hand. And I and I worked on line in the night. After that, I just had to wrap it up in a, in a clean rag. And I worked the line. After that, I went to the emergency room. And they put, uh, like, they told me that I had a second-degree burn and, they put a, almost like a ruler sort of a thing in, in near my elbow so I could not move my elbow. And he said that for a week you should not work because near the heat. Otherwise, And plus you should not bend your hand at all. Otherwise, you will, uh, it, it will never get healed. So I went with that, prescri- uh, that, that letter and went to him the next day. And he was extremely annoyed at that, <laughs> uh, my chef. And... Uh, and he said that was unacceptable, and I was making a story up. I said, I, I don't know an ER doc. I mean, I've, I've been in New York City for less than a year. I don't think I know people in in a hospital suddenly out of nowhere that in the emergency room. <laughs> and, uh, and to make them convince them to write me notes like this also to the other extent. Wow. And I was like, this is what... So, and my sister was visiting, and that's when my sister, who is the one who pushed me, and said that you cannot, you should not be working for someone like this. Wow, man! And so she is the one who really pushed me out of this job in a way. But I think I was, I think it was right for her to say that, and that's when I started searching for another job, and and so it was literally that burn that made the made that little change where he was not compassionate. I didn't mean that he had to molly cuddle me for anything. I just. But I think for him to say that I was making it up and lying about something like this was, yeah. I think, a bit ridiculous. Too much. Yeah. But, so uh, uh, one of the lessons we've learned on the show is that y- you often take those bad experiences and you look at them and you try to take something away uh, from that experience uh, to learn something from the experience. So in one or two sentences, like what was the big lesson that you learned from this experience and how are you like applying mm-hmm. that in your life today? No, I'm very happy. I mean, it was such a tough kitchen. It was a ve- uh, extremely difficult kitchen to work for. It was a very, it was a very tight space, and I think that tight space made me understand that. I mean, all my restaurants are extremely small, and I, I always remembered if I could do it in that place, which was a, which was almost like a hundred seater restaurant in a very tight kitchen. Why can't I have such a small kitchen and have a twenty seater restaurant? And uh, and and how working on on a very almost a half size cutting board you still have to do that same amount of work which wouldn't be normally possible or even like this like i mean i think that it discipline is one thing like i i think like i worked for uh, uh rocco desperado who was an extremely disciplined chef i think one of the most hard chefs to work under and uh but he was not but this was not what i mean this is this is wrong what that man did uh, and in terms of not understanding someone's grievance. I mean, that's a, I mean, not having a first aid kit in your <laughs> establishment, not, not letting you, I mean, it's not inhumane. believing the story. <laughs> got, 
if you've got burnt. Yeah, I think I think that's not right. But 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 you can be as strict as you wish. I mean, but not doing things doing things like this. I mean, I know in Rockwell's kitchen they had to pay for the kitchen aid that would break. I mean, the the kitchen guys had to pay for equipment that would break. If uh, and and that that was not normal also, but. But at least that showcase discipline. I yeah. You know, it yeah. showcases that you better learn that if you if you just throw things around and 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 these are good pieces of equipment, if you break it, you guys in the kitchen will have to pay for it. I think is different. I don't say that that is right to do in in this society because that's not how we do it here anymore. But I appreciate that. I yeah. mean, I would do it the same way if it was legal. I would do it the same way. Let's put it this way. <laughs> but but even if it was legal, I wouldn't do. I wouldn't do something like not understand someone's pain. I think that is not right. Chef, you're you're dropping gold on us right now, and I love everything you're sharing with us. But we're gonna fast forward into the future uh, because I only have you for like an hour and twenty minutes. Twenty minutes. So I gotta make the most of this time. And uh, one thing I really want to talk about is. Uh, the power of surrounding yourself with incredible people. So during this period where you're working like eight to midnight, um, you know, 14, 16 hour days, uh, you were working for John George. So uh, was that intentional? Like, is it, did you, why did you, you said you wanted to commit to at least one year of these crazy seven yeah. days a week, 16 hour days. <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So I started off that story, but never finished it. So basically yeah. my second job when I, when I took, I, uh, I was uh, I, I was working there, and uh, at the same time, I was. That, that's when I finally started doing pastry, and I got working with um, Eric Hubert, who was the pastry chef there. And in about less than about uh, uh, about maybe four months, he left to uh, because he wanted to open John George, and he said, that, "Will you come work with me?" And I was like, wow, I mean, that was a dream. I mean, to get into a four-star restaurant, I mean, that time it wasn't a four-star restaurant, it was not even open, but everyone knew that it was going to be one. I mean, that is how it was built, that is how it was structured and everything. So he had said that, you know, this is going to be a four-star restaurant of John George. And, and John George already, even though that time he only had Jojo and Wong, he was still a very big name in the mm-hmm. industry. And uh, and And he said... Uh, and I was like, for sure, but I don't want to leave this job till I finish a year. I had made up my mind that in the next job I take, I'll never leave without finishing a year. Otherwise, people might just think that, oh, he's one of those guys who just keeps hopping from job to mm. job and makes excuses for himself or whatever it might be, you know. Uh, so I didn't want to do that. So I said, I will only, I have a morning shift there. So I finish, uh, I finished at around 4.30 or something like that. I said, I will only come after that. And, and I wanted to do that. I said, till I finish a year over there, I will not leave. And and they said, yes. And they agreed. And that's what, I guess, I mean, maybe got me the job too, because John George saw that, that I was very, that was one of the things that I told yeah. him in my interview. Not that I was almost in, I had to literally meet him for the reason of meeting him in some ways. But, but still, I think... Uh, I mean, he agreed. I mean, not many chefs do agree on things like that. And uh, I mean, the one uh, word that comes to my mind, chef, is integrity. I mean, integrity is huge. And you recognize that you're only, you know, people don't listen to what you say. They listen to what you do. 
and you've you've got to be empathetic and look at it from other people's perspectives. And like, what are they going to think of me if I leave this place after a couple months to take a better deal? Like, it, it says so much about your character. Uh, so I love it. Thank you for going there. No, no, sorry. Uh, so, okay, let's, uh, start talking about you, uh, and later on in life, you were basically, uh, looked like you were helping a lot of people open restaurants. Uh, you were involved with a handful of other restaurants. What was going on there? So once I, uh, after, uh, after I left, uh, John Jordan, Mercer Kitchen and Union Pacific, all of those places, I started working at X, which was, uh, a restaurant by Didier Vero, who was the chef at John George, who was a uh, who was uh, his chef de cuisine at John George, and when he opened, and we always got along extremely well at John George, and so when he opened, he asked me to be his pastry chef, so I did join him, and uh, uh, at that time, I started to, uh, I just, I think by that time, I was like trying to see to it that how do I finally get a name for myself also, okay. and okay. all of that, you know, it was in the, it was, it was the start of all of that, so I started doing a lot of consultations for people. Whenever people would ask, I would see to it that, I mean, I had uh, uh, my one and a half to two days off a week. So I would try and see to that versus my whenever, whatever time I had. And I, I, I just managed to get that niche filled in. And I ran, I started running classes for children at that time. And, uh, and so many years ago, no, really no one, I mean, very few people ran classes for children. Everyone ran classes for adults. So I, I got you, a lot of... Chef, can you say that one more time? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. I think, I think that at that time, so, uh, what about uh, over 15 years ago, not many people ran classes for children. Okay. Many people ran classes, adult classes. So uh, I got a lot of press because of that, ah. that, oh, this man is running classes for children and this and the other. So... So that became, that started off, next thing I knew I was running, people started asking me, would you do birthday parties? Because I did children's cooking classes. So they were like, okay, will you do Then from birthday parties, it became adult parties. And from adult parties, it became people asking me to do weddings. And, and the next thing, it just it just grew and grew and grew to the point where I just felt like I was getting so many requests from people to work in that format, even even consultations where people will come and ask me, will you consult for to start up the restaurant? Will you do this? Will you do that? So it, it all just started one step at a time, one step at a time, and more and more came to me. I got my I got a book deal and so that happened. It it, it just kept kept piling on little by little and then I managed getting the uh, uh, I said let me start my own restaurant. So that's how it it really started off very organically uh, in a way. Chef, can I slam on the brakes real quick? Because um, sure. I really want to dive into this. Uh, you, We started this interview uh, by you saying that you need to follow your heart and do what makes you happy. Um, so when you start, decided to host these classes for children, were you following your heart and doing what made you happy? Or were you intentionally carving out a niche to make a name for yourself? Uh, it was both sided. I, I firstly, I love working with kids. I, <laughs> I, I really, really love working with, uh, with, uh, uh, with children. I think it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's very interesting to see their minds grow. And I mean, even now at my restaurant, I mean, just tomorrow there is a, uh, no, on Thursday there is a, 
there are these uh, kids coming over to my class who do hydroponics in their school. So basically, they have grown all that stuff, and we are going to cook with it. There's another public school I work with, which is very close to my uh, to my restaurant, and they every year they do a restaurant project. So we always have them over and. We teach them about uh, what a hostess does, what a cook does, what a reservationist does, what a, what a waiter does. And we go through all that aspects of that with them. So it, it, it's really nice to see that kids are interested in, uh, in learning all that and, and, and doing, I mean, I mean, these are uh, six-year-old children. I mean, we're not talking about uh, older kids, it's, it's, it's very young children who are thinking of doing these uh, projects in class. So I think it's, it's really interesting to work with uh, kids of yeah. that nature and cultivate their, their knowledge or understanding towards food. Yeah. You know, I think it's funny too, because I feel, I feel like today, um, in, I, I picked this up from Tom Walter. Uh, he wrote the book, uh, it's my company too. And in that, that book, he talks a lot about the difference between transactional relationships and transformative relationships and the impact that you can have when you literally make your life about transforming the life of other people. And, and you, you're doing this to children, to giving them that mentorship, giving them these lessons, the, the importance of food, the importance of the hospitality industry at a very young age. And I don't think enough of us really care enough about the next generation to invest our time and our energy into them. So thank you uh, for taking that transformative approach. My pleasure. And um, so I, I, th- I think the big lesson out of this is, you know, it's a combination of finding something that you love and finding a way to combine what you love to carve out a niche, to, to zig when everyone else is zagging, to be unique. So you, so you draw attention onto yourself and then just do the work, hustle and continue to compound, make a name for yourself. Uh, and opportunities, if you do that good work, opportunities will come to you. Just focus on doing the work, uh, well. And if you can do that, don't, don't worry about the growth. Just do the work and the, the opportunities will come to you. Is that a good summary of what we can say from just this part of your life? Yes, I would say so. I think you, I mean, yes, it is sometimes, uh, it, it is hard. You may not get to what you want to, want to do, but, uh, uh, and, uh, and sometimes that can happen also, but at least you feel that you have, you tried, you know, that's the most important thing that you, you felt like you did it. And that's, I think, the most important thing in life. So you got the book deal, um, and now you started thinking about opening your first restaurant. So was it the book deal that was the uh, was, did that give you the capital to invest in graffiti, your first restaurant? Or how did you get that? I mean, what things were you doing, and how were you getting the money to open your first restaurant? Uh, I got a silent partner to do that with me, so I was very lucky to um, about that, and uh, it again happened from a consultation gig where I was, I mean, uh, that I had done where I bumped into this person. And uh, over a year ago, prior to opening, uh, prior to he becoming my partner, where um, a couple of partners had asked me to consult for a project, and I said, sure. And it was starting off, and they, the way they had structured it, and they had said what they wanted to do and things like that, they were being completely unrealistic on that project. And, uh, and I 
uh, and they did not uh, uh, they did not hire me completely as what they wanted to hire me for because i told them oh, this is not going to be successful it's not making any sense it's not going to be successful i think it's very foolish what you all are doing and i was uh, and and they were not very happy with all answers of course i mean uh, when you have almost invested into starting a restaurant and someone says that this is a wrong what you have done uh, not many people and then you want a job to be hired <laughs> you don't really uh, get to that uh, get that job most likely so so whatever the so long and short uh, after a year that restaurant uh, closed and uh, or uh, Uh, or was almost about to close and uh, this man again called me and said you know what you were the only person who told us exactly what was wrong and i mean i told them that this is why it won't work this is why it won't work and those were the main reasons what fell through for them and and they said everyone not one other person told us that even the person we hired didn't tell us that or you know just said yes 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 and but you had told us exactly the flaws and those were exactly the flaws that happened so would you like to open a restaurant with me and like i would be a silent investor and i would like to open another and that's how i got this investor awesome so what's the lesson here chef is it, i mean i don't want to put words in your mouth why don't you just tell us in like one or two sentences like the big lesson to take away from that i think the big lesson is like even if you're getting a job or even if it's that job is not for if it is not for just tell that person and or tell i mean if if, if it speaks to you if it doesn't speak to you if you don't feel it's right uh, don't just do it because of the money if, i mean yes you might get that uh, 20,000 40,000 for doing a small con- uh, 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 a small sort of uh, consultation or whatever gig whatever you're doing Yes, you'll get that money at that time, but if it's not the right money, it, it's it's karma. It's going to come back to you. Someone's going to take advantage of you sometime. Yeah. And when you are in that position, so just I think you should just if you know from your heart of hearts you're doing something wrong with whatever wrong. When I say wrong is not wrong as a, and especially if money is not like you're not a hand and foot and your whole family is not managing to survive, they're going to be on the street. Yes, sometimes you might have to do that in life. You have to I mean that's part of life. You just do sometimes you have to just pretend and do something. But if that is not the case in your if that's not where you are in your life and you don't need that money so desperately because of, because your family is not going to be on the streets or something, then don't just tell the person that that this is not the job for you or this is this is what your your or your company is foolishly investing in this. I mean I tell people people come to me for even for weddings and I I I tell them I think here you should spend money but on this what you are telling is 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 the complete waste of your money don't do it even though if you are going to make money on that you should just be true enough and tell them don't waste your money on this there's no way you anyone is going to do this or anyone's going to eat or people ask me we have 5 7 and 9 courses people tell me whatever you say and i and i i could definitely just tell them oh take the nine course menu yes my business will make more money but i have to be true into telling them what are your people like how old are they uh, do they normally eat so much yeah like you can't just say yes you should do the nine courses that's not being right i think that's being i think stuff like that is what i mean to say be true to what you're doing 
I love it. I love it. And just writing down words, the words are written down is honesty, truth, and speak from the heart. And, you know, just don't make decisions based off money if it's going to hurt you in the short term. Because in the long run, being authentic, being true to yourself, having that clarity of mind will get you places in the long run is what I'm hearing from you. I think so. Awesome. I, I, at least that's what I feel. So let's hope I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> well, telling the truth and speaking from your heart hasn't hurt you to this point. So uh, let's talk about uh, why you think your restaurants were successful. So I'm going to give you the floor, chef. Just give us, uh, you know, just start going. Like, what did you do from the beginning of your first restaurant with uh, graffiti to where you are now? Like, what, what, what do you know to be true? What, what were you doing that made your life successful? I think everyone ha- everyone works very hard to to try to achieve that. I think uh, you also with that comes. I mean, because you don't do it by yourself. You need a whole team to make yourself successful. Uh, I couldn't have made any of my restaurants successful if I didn't have the right uh, right people and the uh, and the people to believe that. Even if, however short they live or however long they stay with you, uh, with any industry, but try to see to it that. Uh, uh, they are all on the same page when you are trying to move forward because there is no sense working with uh, with a team that doesn't believe in your uh, in your philosophy. So it uh, because you're not going to be successful, you're not going to be able to portray that vision correctly to uh, uh, to your customers if your uh, if if your staff doesn't believe in it. You know. So let's so pull back. It's very oh, important. Go, go ahead. So it's very important for you to see to it that your staff understands that. I think if they don't understand, then you've hired the wrong person. And uh, and then it could be you have to let go of that human being if they just, if that person doesn't understand your philosophy or your food or your uh, uh, vision of whatever you want to do. So let's dive so into that, that Chef. Is uh, important. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. It's so important. Uh, the way you get people to stay with you on your team is that they buy into your philosophy and they're on, they're on the same page for you. They have the same purpose, the same mission that you have. How do you get people on uh, the same page as you? What are, what are the things we need to do in our restaurants to, to make sure everyone's on the same page? I think continuously telling them what you want to achieve, telling them what is important. I mean, it is. it could be with any job, right? I mean, tomorrow, if you are getting to do what you are doing so much that you really need help with all the other background stuff, you know, to get the research done, to get all this done. Like, I mean, and you know, when you, every time before you have interviewed anyone, You've really read up on that human being. You've really touched to see to it that you've really checked out their bio or their what they are doing so you can be the best interviewer uh, possible. And you hire the next person and you feel, oh, who's, who, who wants to do this type of a job? But he just doesn't do it correctly. Every one time he misses out uh, finding out that how he started his career. Next time he forgets to tell you that he went to an Ivy League school. Third time he tells, forgets to tell you that... Uh, uh, that he is, uh, he came from this country, or, uh, and you always thought that he was always born in America. But then you came to know, oh no, actually he was born in Italy for the first five years, and then he moved to America. Yes, he's been living here, so you just assume that, and, and and so whatever. The point is that your assistant is not continuously not doing these little little things, which really irk you because you really always went and checked out their history right from 
that very day to the end and this person doesn't do it, then he's the wrong person But for you because he doesn't always do these things right. Maybe he's a good interviewer, but he doesn't do these other things right. And to them, it might be, big deal, I didn't know where he was born. Big deal, I didn't know. I forgot one college he went to school. But for you, it is a big deal when you interview people. So it, it, it all depends on what you are looking for. If that makes you, if that is what you are, you are the guy who dots the I's and crosses the T's, then that human being is not right for you. But if you are one of those people that things like that also don't make a big difference to your life, you just feel, okay, whatever. It'll all come out in that interview. Big, uh, it's fine with me. So then that guy is the right guy for you. It also all depends on that, you know, or as you had initially said, I like high energy people. And you may not want the guy who does a great job, but He's so dull, he's so morose. He's, you may not want to, I mean, he might be doing everything correct, but every day when you see him in the morning, you just feel, oh my God, now what's wrong with him? He's <laughs> that one of those type of people. But So you will not be happy to work with that guy. So, But his work is great. But his attitude is so dull and horrible. I mean, not horrible, his attitude is just dull, which is not what you are. You are one of those bubbly people and you want that person, that type of a human being. It could just sometimes just be the wrong match and, and the same thing with, with in the restaurant, right? I mean, if, if you are the person, if, uh, if you're seeing that, I mean, I like people with body language, I, I keep encouraging them, and you're seeing that that person is searching for his coat, it doesn't matter if they have hung their own coat. You go there and ask him, well, how can I help you? Like, let me try and find your coat. I mean, just because we put hooks all around the restaurant doesn't mean that you don't have to help them if they are searching because someone else might have put two coats over their coats. So go help them. I mean, that is what I prefer that you do as a re- in my restaurant. And if I see my waiter is just standing there and just staring at them. Okay, if he was working at that point, I understand. But if he's just staring and not doing anything, then I want that waiter to do that. That is the waiter I'm looking for. Chef, and, uh, <laughs> you're killing it. Yeah. Uh, I thought you were done. Do you want to add one more thing? No, that's it. <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome. You're going, go you're going deep, man. And I love what you're sharing with us. And I'm going to do my best to just summarize real quick that for you, uh, when it comes to building a team, you want to find the right person. For you, it's people that have that body language, that care. And then also, you want to continuously be telling people and help having them understand why it is we do the things we do uh, and constantly just reminding and giving them the purpose. And it's like that constant gentle pressure that Daniel, Danny Myers talks about. Uh, and, and if you do that, they'll stay with you uh, to kind of work and reverse engineer that uh, what you share with us. Is, is that, is that on? Yeah, I will say that. I think the main thing is they will, they will, if they like you, I mean, with me, it's the same. Uh, my staff knows that. Like, I mean, a lot of them will say either that person will stay forever or they leave right away with our restaurant. And I have also got cooks who've stayed there for, I've had a, had a sous chef who was with me for 15 years. I, right now, one of my longest cooks uh, uh, has been there for eight, uh, two of them have been there for eight years. My wait staff, I have, a, I have one of the waiters who's been there. Out of my three waiters, one of my waiters has been there since the day we've opened the restaurant, which is ten and almost ten years. So, uh, so we uh, either they'll stay forever, or they will just say this is not the person they want to work with, or I will feel that they are not the right person to work with either. Okay. So it is great. 
that we have that longevity. Awesome. I love it. So uh, just to kind of go back a little bit, the question I asked you is, what are the things you know to be true that have contribute to, contributed to your success? Uh, and you said teamwork. And you kind of really dove in and shared what we need to be or just building that right team and what we need we need to be doing to build that right team. So let's talk about uh, anything else that you think has contributed to your success. What else comes to mind when you think about that? I think uh, learning from people's mistakes and and reading about people's uh, like don't read about the, your industry, just read about successful people or read about success stories or read about something completely different. Like I mean, uh, when if I had to read about how to make my uh, make a, a restaurant successful or whatever or or a business success, read about the business. Don't read about just your industry. That's what I mean to really say. And that is very, very important. It doesn't matter how someone made a shoe business successful. There will be something that you'll figure out that, you know, from this, that is what he, he said. And maybe I can imply and put that philosophy into my restaurant. Or maybe I can put that philosophy about the guy who, who made trucks into my restaurant. It doesn't matter. It, it, it is just read about business. Mm. It, and that is very important. Yeah, it's, it's and, and read about those stories. Well, if you're listening to this right now, congratulations! You're doing what Chef is recommending. You're listening to other successful people, uh, maybe not in different industries, but still the the power of surrounding yourself with the thoughts uh, of other incredible people is so powerful, which is why I started this podcast because it didn't exist and I felt like it needed to. Uh, so thank you for pointing that out, chef. And, um, I love that you mentioned just from across other industries. And I think uh, a beautiful example of that is Nick Kakanis, who I just had on the show from, uh, the Avery restaurant group or the, um, Alinea restaurant group. Um, and he had a, um, a trading background. Uh, and he's like a mathematician. He's like a math genius. And he turned this industry upside down uh, just because he had that different perspective and he challenged everything we did. Uh, why do you do it that way? Like, this way makes way more sense. So when you see su- success from other industries, you can really get creative and apply different perspectives to an industry that you're in. And it, there's so much potential there. Uh, it's really powerful. Um, right. Do you want to add I anything to that? Very... No, I think that is absolutely right. Awesome. So, Chef, um, is there anything that you really felt like we, or you were really hoping we would talk about today that we haven't discussed yet? No, I think I think just the fact about where uh, sustainability goes. I think another thing that is very important is a lot of times people think that uh, doing uh, uh, aspects of sustainability only work in small formats, and that's not the case. I also work with University of Massachusetts in Amherst, which is a large college which feeds about 14,000 students. And uh, we have our program over there, too, about as much as buying all these uh, uh, produce in such a way of how we can utilize uh, uh, food aspects which are getting wasted, right, from breakfast items, how they could be turned to lunch, or how lunch items could be turned to dinner, or how uh, some products which are just looking at it. Like, I mean, there was one example that we came up uh, when I was, when I was walking through the kitchens day uh, in and day out, seeing one part where they used to make their own turkey for sliced meat, uh, for sliced turkey. But it does, uh, the point was about the slicer. And, every, and that's when I said, what is happening with all that, that stuff? After when you're slicing, you always get scrap. I mean, you will see it in every deli that you work, uh, when you might have gone. 
to uh, th- there's always been a little bit of stuff that falls down on from the slicer. And I said, why don't we collect all that? And we col- started collecting that. At the end, we were seeing that we could make about close to 10 to 15 turkey sa- uh, salads with that scrap material oh, man. of turkey scrap. So we just, it, it is stuff like that. It is like, it can, it can happen. We can, we can make these changes in very large movements too. And that is something which I think more bigger industries need to look into that. It's not just for micromanaged restaurants or which can, which can work on these small things of wastage. We can do that in larger organizations also very, very well. If we just pay a little more attention to it. We use all the scraps of uh, our uh, vegetables and make soup with it every single day, even at the restaurant, even at the college. Yeah. And uh, and our food cost of the soup came down from 26% to 12%. Wow, man. That's in, incredible. In the college. And, and that's a huge difference in, in, in food cost as well as food wastage. So, so there are lots of things like that we can all look into and 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 identify and do and that is something that is very passionate two things two things uh first the next time you're at the university of amherst um or umass amherst let me know i'm only a two-hour drive i want to come have a beer with you okay i'll be going every (laughs) every year we do a conference there so on this sunday i'm going for the conference we do a conference where we teach uh, chefs from different parts of um, of uh, America, they, about 100 chefs from different universities will be coming down, and a couple of chefs like myself. We run a pro, uh, we run a training uh, uh, kitchen for two days over there. Plus, the conference is there for five days, but uh, three days we are really there. There are talks and lots of things of that nature happening. So, starting this Sunday, we'll this Sunday, too. June fourth. Be there. Yeah. I'm going to try to make yeah. it. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And the, the second thing I wanted to talk about, and this is something that came up last week when I was in sh- Chicago, I was lucky enough to be featured on the Foodable uh, stage uh, with Paul Barron, and the topic was emerging brands. Um, and what we, right. the summary of the conversation for us was that uh, the, the brands of the future are going to be the brands that make the biggest impact, that go the deepest. Because here's the thing food has gotten really great in the past 15, 20 years to the point where there's not like we've, we've almost hit a ceiling. Um, and the, the, the brands that are really going to emerge in the future are the brands that, uh, they spill over and they they start focusing on the culture and the the purpose and the reasons uh, why they exist and it's those brands that resonate most with people the the most the most authentic genuine purpose driven brands are going to be the brands uh, that succeed in the future so and that's about going deep and looking at the details and and really doing what you say you do and I think you just gave a perfect example of that and really looking at the details and how you can walk the walk and if you're about sustainability are you really about a sustainability are you really st- collecting the turkey scraps to make a salad like and cutting your your waste down to twelve percent for twenty six percent like that's that's where the 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 magic is guys so uh beautiful stuff chef thank you for getting to that detail and uh before we go to the speed round i need to uh have you share a failure so we learn so much from the success of other people but we learn a lot about when people fall on their ass you mentioned that earlier so tell us about a time you fell on your ass chef what did you what did you do what happened uh, okay. we have but we tried to stop the restaurant graffiti. It was very hard. It almost was like it, uh, I gave up my 
I gave up a job with the same person who I said who wanted to be an investor. At one point, he uh, he again started feeling that it might his restaurant might work again, and 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 it was in the news that I had uh, I was starting my restaurant, uh, and uh, in this one location because he wanted to use the same location with the restaurant which was failing, and then rebrand it with me and and start all over again. And uh, and it just came out on like on a Wednesday of New York time, and Thursday he tells me that no, I think I'm going to uh, 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 I'm going to keep this with this guy because he was crying when he found out the chef that uh, uh, that this is what we are going to do and like I, I really want to give him another chance and and stuff like that. And I was like, that's fine, but all this you had already talked to him over a month ago. We gave the story to the press because you said we were starting in two months. Now, like, we were shutting this place down. I mean, you can't, like, and I was really, I, I just felt like this is it was so embarrassing. Plus, I had already given my notice at my other job. And um, uh, and I was like, this is, so I had no, like, not that I wouldn't have got another job, but the point was, it was just a very, it was just like, I felt like, oh, my gosh, like, I mean, this is the first time I'm trying to open a place. People will think it's a joke. Like, you know, I mean, I'm saying I'm opening and then I'm, I am not going to have anything. So trying to figure it out for that first few, three months. In the end, he was the same guy. We opened it in another location. But, uh, but the point was he was, he almost, almost backed out at the last second. And, uh, at least at the same location where he said, oh, we'll find, but now to find a new location, to get everything started takes way longer. So it almost took me another year to wow. start the restaurant, which I wanted to start a restaurant in about two or three months. I was going to start a restaurant because I had everything working. It was in working condition. Uh, there was equipment. There was a, they were just shutting it down. We were just going to, like, you know, throw out the, uh, like, just, just redecorate the whole space out, uh, uh, remove all the, uh, 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 all the furniture, get new furniture, new uh, furbishings, but the shell was there. Now there was nothing like a shell. I had to search and and <laughs> for a place <laughs> and start from scratch. So it took us a year to open a re- my place finally. So it was a little bit off-putting, you know. I was very down because of that because I had a very successful career and a r- good run, and then this happened. And now once something like that is in the news, it's very hard to even find a job because people will say, you know, he is searching, so maybe it didn't work out, but he is searching, so it'll, he'll leave you any time. So, and I don't want to join someone like that who will, who I, I want to be honest with that person. Yes, I am now absolutely on the thing of opening up a place, so I will leave you at some point. So, so your chances of you hiring me will be harder. So it, it just became a very, I only did consultations after that for that one year, literally. And, uh, 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 but it was it, it was not a very nice period of my life. I will definitely say that that year. One sentence. Hindsight being twenty twenty. What was what's the takeaway? What's the big lesson here? The big lesson is just like if that is what you wanted. I wanted to do that. I mean, I could have just said, you know what, that's it. You know, it didn't happen once. I'm just washing my hands and, and let me just, I mean, I have such a, I mean, I really did have a very successful time in uh, when I was a pastry chef. I was very lucky with the press. Uh, uh, I uh, had very nice reviews literally every single time. 
uh, I could have just been in that comfort zone and just stayed there and not pushed myself into going into the culinary side, going to start a restaurant. I could have just done that. And, and maybe I, was, I would have been happy. I'm not saying I wouldn't have been happy because I really enjoyed what I was doing too at that time. But this was on my mind that I wanted to do. And if I'd not done that, I think it would have been, uh, uh, it would, I, I don't think I would have been here where I am today. And maybe I wouldn't have been, uh, it would have been a regret for me that I would have said, oh, I should have a least tried again, or I should have done a restaurant. I should have done something different or, or I'm so happy that I did it finally. And, uh, well, that's, <laughs> thank you for sharing. We're going to take a, a quick break to thank our sponsor, and we'll be right back for the speed round. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn. That never ends. <laughs> but what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy-to-access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the Tipsy banner in the show notes. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to restaurantowner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips. To join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves, head over to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurants unstoppable listeners you will get the first 10 days for only one dollar again that's restaurantsowner.com slash unstoppable all right we're back in the first question i have for you chef is what is your it factor habits traits characteristics you believe most contribute to your success I think be humble. And why is that so important? It's important because I think you need to bring it down that you can fail anytime, especially in a, in a, a business, which is a very flaky business. Uh, I think you have to remember that. I, uh, I, I give a small example again, going back to my wait staff and my uh, guys. I mean, there were times when we, uh, we were so busy that we could not get in. We would be like literally open the doors by uh, by 5.36. We were packed and 
we had reservations going all the way to Centauri. And, and, and I would say, listen, even if they call, or and especially Friday, Saturday, it was impossible. I said, even if they call, if people call, just say, sorry, like, I mean, we are really full today, but we, if there are any cancellations, we'd be more than happy to call you back. Take their number. Make that person feel on the phone that we are not one of those restaurants where you can never get in. Because tomorrow, there will be a day like tomorrow, which will come, where you will have vacancies. And, and, uh, and then it will be in their head, oh, you know what? We should never call this restaurant. They are those ones where every time when we call on a Friday, it's impossible to ever get in. So you should not give that person that, that feeling. You must give that person hope to feel that maybe one day it will be that we will be able to get in, you know, uh, even if we call on the day off. And that would happen because it would be cancelled. There would be, and people would say, we would always ask, do you live very close by? And they'd say, yeah, yeah, we live just two blocks away. So we're like, are you fine if we call you, even if we, uh, 8 o'clock doesn't show up? And will you be here by 8.15? They'd be like, sure, we'll do that. And, and that is being, I think that, that's part of being humble, where it is like, either we would have got a walk-in, or we may have not got a walk-in, or we would have lost a seat. Here, we were getting someone. But it takes more time. Yes, by asking on them all these questions. Do you live by? We can take, take down your phone number. All that. It does take more time. But at least it gives that person the feeling that we are not that restaurant where you can never get in. Mm. And, there were, and, it went, and that spell lasted for us for about close to three to four years where we were one of those restaurants where we could never get in on a Friday, Saturday if you didn't have a reservation uh, uh, at least two weeks in advance. Awesome. And... Uh, sure. and, uh, and it's important. Yeah. What I'm hearing is care with authenticity and be humble and so, so powerful. And what is your biggest weakness? I would say sometimes being a little too forward in telling the person what they are. Sometimes that is a default. I just feel sometimes I should just hold my lip and not correct your staff or correct your over something where I just feel like, you know what, it's going to happen again, and I'll just waste my energy telling them this part because they are going to make this mistake again because yeah. they are just so used to or they are, they don't get it. They just don't get it. It doesn't mean anything to them. This this one thing that I feel doesn't mean it to them, and, I, and sometimes I feel it's just a waste of time. Okay. Like, I mean, those are... Yeah. What is one piece of advice you have for leading others? I would say for leading others, one thing is don't judge them for why they are doing or not doing something. Uh, try to understand that it is sometimes a, 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 a philosophy they all are following, or it's, it's a generation which they are follow, uh, which you have to understand. It, it, it's all of that. You should go a little more deeper. Don't always just go into feeling that. Oh, they didn't get it, or and and this person is bad, or this person is not the right worker. Try to understand. Maybe this whole uh, whole era of people. This is how they talk, and this is how they behave, and this is how they do things. And maybe that's the new generation of even customers we are now getting. So we have to understand that if they are thinking that way, even our customers could be thinking that way. And maybe it's not so important what we thought was important. This part of the industry, this part of the way of doing it is maybe not so important even for our customers. Mm. We have to also understand that it may not be even important for our customers. We, we keep thinking that it is important as for customers, but our customer base is changing. We are going into a much younger customer base now. Yeah. Um, uh, 
and and we are all getting older. I mean, uh, and so it's not what was twenty years ago. That customer base is our age now. So, I, I, or, or I mean, I, uh, so I stuff like that. I can't think to or help but think about Stephen R. Covey's words. Uh, first, seek to understand. Uh, one of the seven habits of highly effective people, uh, and then seek to be understood. But in this case, first seek to understand, then make judgment. <laughs> Get it first, right. understand it first, and then judge. Uh, I love it. And what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process or when you're trying to build that great team and surround yourself with incredible people? I only look for attitude. I don't look for I don't look for experience. I don't look for the industry they work. I don't. I am least bothered about that. If you have the right attitude, you will learn every single job. That's my feeling. I am least bothered if that person has never held a knife in their life. I will hire that person if I if I feel they have the right attitude, or someone has told me that they have an amazing attitude, or and they're coming through a reference, or I will hire them way faster, way more than a person who has got ten years of experience in a very good restaurant. I won't hire that person. What I are you? Go for sorry. What are you currently challenged with right now? I would say currently, I would say if, if there is a challenge, I would say it's constantly uh, keeping up with uh, with social media and and doing stuff like that. It is it is very time consuming and uh, it is something which has to be done even more. I think yeah, on a constant basis. I think stuff like that is the most most time consuming aspect in some ways, and 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 how to juggle all that with what you're doing is my main constraint. Yeah, it's tough. It's changing so fast too. And um, how are you dealing with that? You do as much as you can. You know, I think that's the thing. As I said, after a certain point, if, if you again, it's not gone to the point that it's making me irritable and angry. If that is happening, then that is where that happiness level, which I talk about, is that means you're losing it. That means it's 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 too far. You're going too far trying to prove something. And it's not worth it. If yeah. every day you're going to be so annoyed trying to do it or so irritable trying to do it or you're getting angry with your environment because of that, that is that that's when you're when when that happiness aspect comes, yeah. where you have to say, you know, now you've lost it. Yeah. And you know, balance is lost. I see people getting almost like like yeah, marketing your restaurant's important, having that brand is important, but don't let Focusing on that distracts you on, on what's most important, which is being awesome, being great, and doing what you do. Um, if you do those things well enough, other people will market for you. Other people will take pictures. Other people will talk about how great you are. Uh, you need to be, you know, there and present, but don't let you know have the you know don't don't let the the cart get in front of the horse. Uh, you know, have those priorities and do what makes you happy. I love it. Um, what is one thing besides food? your restaurant does really well that separates you from other restaurants? I would say service. I, I really pay, uh, uh, again, more than service, it is about about the small things about service. It is about, if you, if you, if you heard that there is this lady who, yes, she just learned that now she has to, uh, 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 taking lift or taking any of these car services through, uh, through, uh, uh, to your phone is much easier than waiting for a yellow cab, but she can't figure it out. Try to do that for her. Like say that here, let me book it for you. Like because you have a young guy in the restaurant as a waiter or as a cook or whatever, and you just saw that, 
do it for that person because they will remember that and they'll come back to you for that. They won't come back to you for your food. They won't come back for you for anything else. They will come back to this restaurant because they'll remember that one waiter or this restaurant helped me get a cab to me. Mm. And they will come back for that. That is more important if they remember that than my food. That is more important to me too. Beautiful. They came back for that. Beautiful. I love it, Chef. And what's one book that's a must read to become a better person or restaurant owner? And you said that you're, you're a big reader, so I'm really excited for what you have to share with us. I don't know if I, I, I don't normally just, I don't, I'm not big into always reading a book as much as reading into different, different articles and going and reading, uh, like, uh, just, just different articles written in magazines to newspapers to anything. I'm not, I, I won't, I don't so much read as much as a book as much as I read different articles. I'm more into that. What's your, and, what's your uh, favorite article or your favorite, uh, magazine? I, I do like the Wall Street Journal. I must say that is one of my favorite papers. I, uh, as a website, I do like uh, Bloomberg and Huffington Post are my two favorites that I go to every day. And what is one piece of technology uh, you've adopted in your restaurants uh, that's having an impact on general operations being more efficient, more effective, more profitable? I think having a cell phone uh, uh, attached to our restaurant number, I think, is very nice because we forward our phones every night to the cell phone. So we have more access at the times where people will be like, at, at literally at 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning, we'll call and say, oh, I forgot my bag, I forgot my this, and we will answer it. And like we meaning literally most of the time it, it is with myself or with the two other workers. Not every person takes that phone home. So, uh, uh, and uh, it, it's almost like having a doctor on call in terms of, you know, how the, some answering service will always answer your phone call and at least give you the hope that, okay, tomorrow we can give you the answer. Or just a moment, we'll check because we have the record of something or whatever it might be, or, you know, like we, we can correspond with that human being at very odd times. I think for me, that has been a, a very big boom because a lot of times people have said, I can't believe it, you'll answer the phone. I go, so that we're like, no, we are in the office. Like, you know, <laughs> we, are, we have that phone with that. So, so in a way, so I think just for the fact that, uh, that we can help that customer a little more, uh, I think is is really good for me. I, I feel that, it, I, I don't know if it has absolutely impacted our business or made a huge difference, but at least at that moment, I feel that I can feel the smile in that person's face so, when I'm talking to them, when that person is just asking me that question at one thirty in the morning. I love it. And, and just curious, is it an actual physical phone or do you have a app that pushes the call to some sp- specific person or do you take a specific phone home with you? No, we, we, have, we have a whole, we have a completely separate line of, uh, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a cell phone and awesome. we get everything re- redirected. So. All right. That's commitment. And uh, with all the um, knowledge you have now, Chef, if, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would that advice be? Don't take up this industry, that's for sure. It's a very hard industry. <laughs> that would be my first advice. Um, and uh, and uh, it's, uh, uh, But uh, 
other than that, I would say it, it it is just like I think move with the move with the times, go with the go with the uh, with the food that speaks to you. If you are going into the food industry, go with that. Um, yeah, that uh, there is no need to don't work for a chef or someone where that food doesn't mean anything to you just because that chef has a big name or just because that's the new hot guy in the uh, he's the uh, uh, or or uh, if that food just makes no sense to you if it don't don't do it it it, it makes no sense working in uh, for that chef or for that person if it's not making any difference here because it's not going to help you in your career in the end it's not going to help you in your career because if it doesn't make any sense to you Beautiful. And Chef, is there one thing I could have asked you uh, that would have added more value to this interview that comes to mind? Uh, no, I think the only thing I would stress on like what we do at uh, uh, Me and You is very unique. It's very different. It's about literally making food for, uh, for your customers, what they wish to eat. It's memory-driven. It's, it's it's a very different contact and uh it, it, it uh, and we do conversational dinners over there with people the main thing is what i wanted to say was that that is something which i really wish to do and i would love to have but i do know that i can't only have that and uh, and uh, and survive with it only having that place so I have to do what other things I do, even though I, and I wanted to always do this for a long time. I had to wait a little longer to start a restaurant like that. But, uh, but at least I did it. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but even if it is that it, uh, I need to have the other two places, I still need to have those other two places. But I, I did do that one path that I wanted to, to really, which I really like to do. So, so, so keep that in mind that it may not happen as your first restaurant, may not happen as your second. It may be a part of the process. Um, but don't lose that focus if that is something you really wish to do. Do it, and it might take some time to get there. It might, but don't forget that process of what you really wish to do. Beautiful and chef, you've been. Amazing. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? I would say I'm very happy that I worked for John George uh, for the simple reason is one thing I did learn from him was business. I didn't, I was in pastry, so I didn't learn so much as cooking from him, but I just learned a few things about him and uh, and how he will talk to his hostesses and his his front desk uh, staff and to his wait staff and to what he would say in the kitchen, like about about why he did this or why he put that or or just general stuff. And uh, I'll give you a very small example. One day when he has said this and. I remember there was this uh, there was a customer eating at the bar, and that customer would keep smoking. And that time, uh, smoking at the bar was allowed, and he would smoke the whole time. And he was drinking a very expensive wine, like something like a three four thousand dollar bottle of wine by himself. 
and they and there were a lot of chefs making fun of him like i can't even believe he's taking the biggest menu he's eating all this he's asked for everything add on add on with the caviar add on with this add on with that and he's just drinking and eat and 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 smoking and the whole thing goes and he i don't think he can even taste anything like that's ridiculous <laughs> like and and you know one thing what he said is if that is making him happy to enjoy his time there then we should let him do that i mean not we should mean it was not like an option you could smoke at the bar at that time but what he meant to say is like we are no one to judge in in some ways is what he wanted to say yeah. but and i think that is the most important like if that is making that human being happy then let that person be happy maybe his taste buds work in that fashion his taste buds will not be his his mental happiness will not be there if he didn't have a cigarette in his mouth <laughs> i mean i don't promote cigarettes i don't like yeah, I, I don't smoke at all and i don't promote cigarette smoking at all but what i'm trying to say is it's it's just a it's an example which i'm he giving which yeah, i still remember <laughs> this example every day is like understand that customer how that person likes to eat understand the customer how they want to portray themselves and and be near you i think it's very very important Beautiful. so so, uh, awesome. so i think i think i learned many many things like this from him John George, look out. I would love to get you on the show. I'm coming after you. Uh, and thank you for calling out such a great person in the industry. And um, I guess that's it. Just let the folks at home know if we want to come join your team, if we want to maybe hire you as a consultant, what's the best way to connect? Uh, just reach out to me at, at the restaurant as well as on my uh, – you can just uh, email me. I'm, it's very easy, jahanger at jahangermeta.com. So it's a very easy connect, this and is, I'll be oh, more than happy sorry. to be with you guys. <laughs> this is episode 335. Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 335. I'll have the links in the show notes to connect uh, to his restaurants, to uh, the resources that were mentioned in today's episode, all right there. Chef Meta, thank you so much uh, for taking the time uh, to join us, for, for being just an awesome person, for choosing to make an impact, uh, choosing to make a difference, and choosing just to be great. Uh, it, was a, it was an honor to make it an, an example of you today. Thank you. I loved having you. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, all right. And that's it. Cheers. Boom. Another awesome episode with Chef Jahanger Meta. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Some great lessons in this episode. Um, first, just you can tell that Chef Meta just has this approach to the industry through the eyes of somebody who's extremely socially intelligent with extreme empathy uh that sociology background uh is so important uh to to think about everything you do from the perspective of the guests and other people will have such profound impacts on your career and your business uh so i love that the emphasis he put now we started with it with talking about his background in sociology and then we ended with it when he was making an example of chef uh john george and how he was speaking about this man who was ordering all this incredible food, but he couldn't taste any of it because he was smoking cigarettes. But who cares? Is that man happy? That's all that matters. 
are our guests happy? Are our employees happy? What are we doing to ensure the happiness of all these other people but ourselves? And if we can make other people happy, uh, we can, we will make ourselves happy. And uh, just you know, the power of the, the team around you. He gave us some great advice on building that team. Uh, the power of learning from other people. Uh, the stories of other people, the history of other people, what they did and applying what they did, you know, going to different industries to learn about success and apply those lessons in our own life. And just so much incredible advice, positivity, motivation, great stuff in today's episode. I loved it. And like always, guys, just a a reminder, please reach out to me, social handles, Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. But the best way to connect with me, the way I prefer, believe it or not, are with those one-on-one chats. I love talking to my listeners. I'll give you 15 minutes. Tell me what your challenges are. I, If I don't have a book or the advice that I can give you, uh, I know somebody who can help you. I'll connect you with somebody. And um, tell me what you want to hear on the show. Who you want to hear from? Who's killing it in your community? Who's somebody you admire? Shoot me an email, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable, or set up that 15 minute one on one chat. Uh, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one on one, or find the banners at restaurantunstoppable.com. And yeah, guys, I'm looking forward to the future. I'm going to be hitting it hard. My goal is to do at least six episodes a week. That doesn't mean that you'll be getting all six of those episodes a week, but um, we do want to go to three episodes a week. Uh, by July. So that's what's on the horizon. Um, special thanks to my boy Jared Parisi, who's going to be taking over the editing. I finally have some help. So all of my time, my focus will be going into recruiting amazing guests to make an example of, to learn from, and putting them in front of you. So uh, I'll, I'll be looking to the future. Uh, Jared's going to be adding some video he's going to be doing the editing he's going to be doing the promotion so we're going to be taking this thing to the next level uh, super excited and grateful to have him on board and uh yeah look out this is going to be great i'm pumped love you all and until next time peace out